You are listening to the Echo Church Podcast, and we are on a mission of rescue and restoration into a vibrant and fulfilled life. I'm Kevin McAllister, 671 Lincoln Boulevard. Do you need the phone number? That's right. Okay, this is extremely important. Would you please tell them that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. No toys, nothing but Peter, Kate, Buzz, Megan, Lenny, and Jeff, and my aunt and my cousins. And if he has time, my Uncle Frank. Okay? Okay. See what I can do. Thanks. Hey, welcome to the Artemis series. Last week, for those that were here, uh, we took a moment and we talked about King Herod. And I told you some of the kind of historical concepts about who Herod was. And this week, I thought, hey, let's just talk about Uncle Frank. Why not? You know, I mean, he's deep, a deep biblical character in Scripture. Uh, no, we're going to eventually tie uh, uh, Mary and Joseph and a few other individuals uh, to this clip here. Uh, but I do want to uh, just set up the stage a little bit about Uncle Frank. Uncle Frank, has anybody watched Home Alone? Anybody not watched Home Alone? Okay, because if you haven't, I'm, I'm going to download it online. And after service, you got to stay here and watch it. So um, a definite classic. Uh, but Uncle Frank and Kevin, man, they have this complicated relationship. Uncle Frank is, is uh, you know, he... No one's taking charge, so he's going to take charge, and it doesn't really matter if he's going to lose his temper, or he's just going to say uh, his opinions, or what he thinks. He's going to make things right, and there's a scene, I believe, in the first uh, part of this movie where the whole family's together, and Kevin is like being Kevin, and he's doing what he's doing, and somehow he screws up the dinner, or tips over something. I can't exactly remember what happened, but he made his Uncle Frank mad, and Uncle Frank just blasted man just some words and viciously attacked him and so what I'm trying to tell you is this Kevin Uncle Frank and and again just in my own little creative way we're going to kind of reference Uncle Frank and just understand that's kind of who he is at the same time I think if we look within ourselves we look in our own families uh, we have that Uncle Frank type in our family and there's no nudging there's no elbowing anybody here today and saying your uncle frank but i think if we're being honest uh we understand how that is it's the type of person maybe they're not very picturesque uh maybe they have this tattered past maybe they're extremely loud and opinionated maybe they're rough around the edges or or maybe we just call them not normal we have those types of people in our life. And in fact, I think uh, the irony is this, is I think Kevin, uh, as he's related to Uncle Frank, is more like Uncle Frank than he's not. And I think the same is the case with us. And, and I just want to tell you, some of you have walked into this place and maybe you feel like you're not that picturesque type of person. You have this tattered past. You have, you're rough around the edges. You're not normal. I just want to tell you that we think here at Echo Church, you are at the perfect place. And no matter where you are in your faith journey, we're just excited that you're here with us. Can you, church, do you agree with that today? We just keep joining the party here with us and, and let's uh, lean into God. And so Kevin isn't the only person that has an Uncle Frank in, their, in his life, uh, someone that would relate to it. And uh, what I want to do is just kind of make reference to a, a 
Uncle Frank type, really, in Scripture. And so a uh, very figurative uh, message here this morning, but uh, just tag along with me. In Matthew verse 1, if you have your Bibles, you have your phone, maybe open up to it. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and read it, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about this story. And we're going to go in this wonderful maze of, of mind-blowing information. So hang tight, okay? Uh, okay, good luck. Anyway, Matthew 1, 18 says this. This is how the birth of, the, of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Theologians and histori- historians believe that Mary was probably between ages of 12 and 14, and Joseph would have been just a little bit older. And I like giving you a little bit of some of those historical backgrounds because some of us, uh, I, I think you need to get back to your, your mind to where you were at 12 and 14 and imagine being Mary. Imagine being Joseph. Imagine the pressures of, of the culture and family and the situation that would have been upon their shoulders. And if we continue in Matthew, it says, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Unless it's to have an honest moment, if, if someone, if you went to your neighbor or your neighbors, your family were like, yeah, I got pregnant, uh, but it's by the Holy Spirit, would anybody believe you? No way. I'd be like, you're lying or you're on drugs. So, you know, what's going on here? Let's, let's figure this out. So it's, this is Mary. This is her circumstance. She's now a teen and she's pregnant and, and supposedly through the Holy Spirit. And, and now all of a sudden, Mary and also Joseph would be put into kind of this blacklist. They would have been put onto uh, uh, really a portion or the fringe of the community of, of rejects and people that aren't exactly doing things the way they're supposed to. See, you have to understand that culture had this honor and shame culture. And, and if you didn't do things the way that you were supposed to do, you'd be put on the fringe. They would have been viewed as an Uncle Frank type of uh, couple, if that makes sense, if you're following that figurative concept. Hang in, hang tight. Because Joseph, this is verse 18, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quickly. Other references or other interpret- um, uh, versions of Scripture, and if you kind of start kind of digging into that word of faithful and to the law, there's this reference to being a man that was just, a man that wanted to do things right. And interesting enough, uh, his, the Israelites had this little clause in their law that if a woman was to be found pregnant before she was married, that the man that was going to marry her had full privilege to do whatever he wanted to do with her. He could divorce her and he could go as far as even killing her, which obviously is foreign to this culture, but this is the circumstance and the situation that they were living in. In fact, let me read that reference in Deuteronomy 22 and 23 and 24. It says this, it says, if a man happens to meet in town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of the town and you're able to stone them to death. Now, interesting enough, this is pretty, you know, let me, let me help you understand the, the, the seriousness of that situation. Like death is bad, but, but Jewish literature writes up how there's certain means or methods to kill someone that's, that's, that should match the severity of their sin. And stoning is on the top of by far the worst way to kill someone. And they say, you know what, you can do this. 
But Joseph decides to do something different. Verse 20, it says this, but after he had considered, in fact, if you look at that word consider, if you read some commentaries, you can read that actually after Joseph sat a little bit in anger for a time, it said this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and he said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what she conceived in her, what she has told you, is actually from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sin. Man, Joseph was brewing. He was considering, really, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the just thing? And, and an angel came and confirmed it to him. And, and that's, that's just simply amazing. But verse 24 it says, says this, when Joseph woke up. I mean, there's something different about actually dreaming about something and then actually doing something. And Joseph, this is what he does. After he woke up, he did exactly what the angels of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home to be his wife. Uh, but, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to the son. And then what did he do? He gave him the name Jesus. He gave his son the name Jesus. This is a reference, and again, we might glance over this, but this is the moment where Joseph, Joseph is doing this in the community, saying, I am adopting this seemingly unwanted or, uh, you know, like really the unknown child. We don't know really where it came from. I can just imagine there is a myriad of, of lies and rumors about who Mary was and, and, and how all that happened. But Joseph, as the just man, steps up and he names him Jesus as the angels had told him. Now, interesting enough, and, and this is kind of where the rabbit hole begins, and just bear with me, but uh, how many of you know that the version of the Bible that we read is translated from the Greek and the Hebrew. And I think what's interesting is that the name of Jesus isn't just like, we don't just take the Hebrew name. We have made an English name for Jesus's God-given name, which would have been Yeshua. Again, I don't think that's bad. I don't, I don't, I, I don't think it's bad and I don't think it's good. It's kind of a, maybe a... a maybe just kind of a balanced point there. But, but at the same time, because we don't call him Yeshua, sometimes we don't see the interconnectedness of the character in the Old Testament who also had the name Yeshua, but English name is translated Joshua. Okay, that's, that's pretty a roundabout way to get to uh, the Old Testament. But this is how it is. So the English name Jesus comes from Yeshua, and the Old Testament Yeshua is translated Joshua. Anybody confused in here? <laughs> I mean, why couldn't they just make it easy? Well, what I want to tell you is this. There's an interconnectedness of what Joshua did and what Joseph did and what Jesus was going to do. And what it takes is to understand who this Joseph character was. Joseph in the Old Testament is the man who followed in leadership after a man named Moses. 
Moses who helped deliver the, the Israelites from the Egyptians and they went to the desert and they were living there. We're hoping to kind of get into obviously this new land into the promised land, but, but things kind of got goofed up and, you know, honestly, they kind of got a little uncle Frank, you know, there's some odd things that happened in the desert and all of a sudden uh, God says, Hey Moses, because of, of um, the inability of, of this generation to do what I've asked them to do, I am going to wait to the next generation and this next generation is going to usher them into this promised land, into salvation, into what God ordained for them as a people. All that to say is Joshua was chosen to do so. And the first thing he did when, when God allowed him to do it, they crossed the Jordan River. And this was a moment that signified as salvation. It's a moment of stepping away from uh, maybe not quite, quite bondage, but you're in the desert and you're trying to navigate and survive there, but walking into what God has called you and uh, ordained you to be into. And they walk into that and there's, there's a lot of freedom and there's excitement. But right away when they go into the land, and there's a big issue, and it's called Jericho. Now, last week I talked about Herod, and what he's known for is his architecture. He was super proud about that, but it was also kind of a motivation out of fear. And instead of uh, uh, including people and welcoming people uh, and, and even loving his own family, he would kill them, and he would, he would create these huge walls and fortresses to keep people away. And this is what they come into the promised land. And the very first task Joshua is called to do is to help bring down the walls. And so he walks in, and, and they send some spies to Jericho. And, and what happens, these spies meet this un, really uh, unlikely character that you wouldn't really think would be a hero of his story. And her name is Rahab. And Rahab is a prostitute. And she, she uh, works with the spies and, 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 and has this desire to, to honestly help God's people, these Israelites to come in and, and, and uh, do what God had called them to do, and that's take over this city. And, and, and interesting enough, because of Rahab's willingness to, to really hope in Joshua, hope in the Israelites, hope in to God uh, of the Israelites, uh, there's salvation that comes to her family, even though she may look like an Uncle Frank an unseemingly, maybe unlikable character, uh, and, and maybe just a character you'd think that maybe God would never use. And in Joshua 6.25, because of her faithfulness, to step out really in faith and, and, and do something that was completely counter maybe uh, what the culture and the city would tell her to do, it says this in Joshua 6.25, it says this, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And then it says this, this is what I want you to hear. And she lived among the Israelites. She lives among the Israelites even to this day. See, I'm trying to connect some dots and the dots that I'm trying to connect is this, is Joseph and the decision that he made to be a just person to make the right decision to save Mary's life is what ultimately saved Jesus's life and this Joshua who has the name Yeshua 
steps into an unlikely relationship with this prostitute who you'd never think could do anything for the kingdom of God. And because of his faithfulness, because of her faithfulness, they take the city and they continue and become the the people of God that they had ordained them to be. And you know what the crazy thing is this, Eric, crazy thing is, it's this, is Rahab is forever written into the lineage of Jesus that's found in the beginning of Matthew. Now, let's just have a moment of confession. I think you all would agree. You start reading the book of Matthew and you read some of those names that you cannot pronounce, and I for sure can't. And you get into like three or four, and then you're like, I'm done. I'm, I'm jumping to chapter two or where, where some of the paragraphs is. Rahab is written in Jesus' lineage. This Canaanite, this woman of the night, this, this person, this unlikely character is, the, is a hero because someone like Joshua could look at her and say, you know what, you can do something in the kingdom of God. And some of you are like, man, Andy, that's the craziest rabbit hole and I'm so confused on who Jesus is and who's Joshua, well, who's named Yeshua, who's not, and who's this Uncle Frank guy anyway? This is what I feel like I need to tell you. This is what I feel like this story is painting is this reminder that you are to be a gift to this world. That it doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter how tattered your past is. It doesn't matter whether you look in the mirror and you think you have any kind of worth or you have some kind of worth or you'll never amount to anything. It doesn't matter if your parents or relatives or, or, or uh, uh, schoolmates or, or anybody, that, as everybody in your life that told you that you are nothing, what Jesus wants to remind you, what this story wants to remind you today on this, in this Christmas little season is that you are a gift to this world. Isaiah, I'm going to ask that you'd come up. And would you guys just close your eyes? Because I, I just sensed and that we had this honest, holy moment in first service when I started mentioning this. Because I think there's some people that walked in. I just, I just, I don't think. I know that some of you have walked into this place and you need to receive this reminder in a humble manner. That you are a gift to this world. That you are to be reminded that you have been made in the image of God. It doesn't matter if you're a sinner or you're a saint, rebellious or religious, young or old. You are not a mistake and you were never an afterthought. You are a gift. Psalms 139, verse 13 and 14 in the message version says this, and I want to read this. I want you to receive it as if God is speaking to you, because he is. It says, oh yes, you you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb, and I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking body and soul I am marvelously made I worship in adoration what a creation you know me inside and out 
You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watch me grow from conception to birth and even to right now. And all the stages of my life were spread out before me. And the days of my life are all prepared before I even lived one day. And what God wants to tell you today is that you are a gift to this God, today, before I conclude my message, I sense that you're calling us to pause. For those people that walked into this room, into this school, into this portable church, God, I believe this was an ordained moment. This was a moment planned from the beginning that these individuals or person would walk into this place and, and that they would just receive this little ounce of hope, that they would be reminded that, God, they were not and they are not a mistake. And it doesn't matter what has been spoken over them. It doesn't matter what has spoken to them. It doesn't matter what kind of past they've come from. God, it doesn't, it doesn't matter the mistakes they've made. It doesn't even matter who they think they might be when they look in the mirror. God, that you want to come into this place and not from my voice, but by the movement of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, that God, you want to remind people that they are the gift. need the reminder that they're a gift. And again, in a weird Andy figurative way, we have those Uncle Franks. We have those unseeming people that, that, that to be honest, like, man, you don't even, it's hard for you to believe that they would ever be able to accomplish anything in God, that they are a gift from God. And today I just sense in a very pastoral way that I'm to remind you that those people that are difficult, they're hard, they have a tattered past, that you are to begin to celebrate their life because they're a gift as well. I talked to a friend this last week, in the last few weeks, we've, we've been talking about build the bag. We were talking about homelessness. We were talking about people that are underprivileged. And, and, and I had no idea, but this, this young man had admitted that he's got a brother that has dealt with homelessness for 20 years. And I made a phone call to him this week knowing that I was going to get to this point and that I want to remind you that there are people that are simply just difficult to navigate life through, but you're to remember them remember them and celebrate their life as if they are a gift from God because they are and I actually asked this, this man I was like hey man would you be open to 
to share a little bit about it, but I began to understand that it's not that easy. Because some of us, some of us, we have history. Some of us, we have unforgiveness. And to be honest, it's just not easy. And, and, and what he did is he ended up writing this email to me to help me understand the, the depth of, of, of the complicated situation and the uncle type of Frank person in his life. And I want you to hear this. And at the same time, I want you not only to hear like his true soul or his heart and his position, I want, to, I want you to hear that there's still hope. Just listen up. I'm quite cold to all of this right now. In fact, when I think about all this, it really hurts me. I try to avoid this kind of conversation as much as possible and leave it alone because it doesn't seem to help the situation. And in my present state, in fact, I feel very, very, very callous to this situation. But then he says this, but my mom is a great example of unconditional love. <laughs> unconditional love for him. And I have no idea how she does it. But she doesn't give up. She always has hope. And on the flip side, I personally, like, man, I think I'm in a boat where I think, like, like, he's too far gone. He might be a waste of my energy. And it's hard for me to contribute in anything towards his cause because I just don't know if he'll ever get back on track. And I know it's a really horrible saying this, but this is my raw words. And I guess no one really asked me about this in the past and really don't ask me about this much. But this is how I feel. This is the unedited version of self. And as he wrote this, I felt moved to ask you, Do you have someone in your life that you relate to as this young man does? You close your eyes again. I want to pray for you. I don't have a playbook and how to navigate with the Uncle Franks in our life, the Rahabs, the Marys, the misunderstood, the confusing. I do know this, that the same God that thinks you're a gift, thinks there's a gift. And if we lean into this God, I believe he'll begin to lead us to love better, to care better, and begin to see those individuals as a gift in our life. Jesus, today, I just sense there's a number of people that carry bitterness. They carry disappointment. Some people that I know that are sitting in here today, and they're angry at their dad because he was never the dad they, they hoped he would be. Or they're angry at their mom because their mom has neglected them and just tried to fix them. And, and God, today I just sense for so many people that this is a new beginning. This is a fresh start. It's not something that erase emotions or the past, but God, it's a commitment to say, God, if we're a gift, we're gonna begin to believe that they're a gift and continue to guide and lead us in the journey of following you. And help us get to a place where we can see those individuals as a gift. And so God, we don't have the answers, but we believe you do and we press into you and say, 
Jesus, help us because we need it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. Thank you so much for listening to the Echo Church podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take just a second to share it with a friend or family member who might need to hear this word today. And if you're feeling alone, lost, have a question, or want help with anything, please reach out to us. We are theecho.church slash contact. We would love to help you no matter who you are or where you're at. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to learn more, make sure to head over to that website, wearetheecho.church, to get all the details and upcoming services and events.